Hi, my name is Claire Vincent, and I'm the host of House Call, an Affinity Strategies podcast. For episode 11, The Importance of Patient Engagement in Research, I speak with Greg Martin. We talked about how his organization, Patient Centered Outcomes Research Institute, focuses on the intentional involvement of patient communities in their studies and research, how they disseminate and implement evidence gathered to clinicians and patients, their funding of studies, and how they offer opportunities for scientists, researchers, patients, and stakeholders to get involved in PCORI's activities, and how PCORI has conducted important studies on a variety of topics, including pain management and opioid use, COVID-19, and youth concussions. Before we dive in, just a bit about Greg. He's the Acting Chief Engagement and Dissemination Officer for the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute. He previously served as the deputy to his current role in which he assisted in facilitating the integration of communications, engagement, training, and dissemination activities across the department and organization-wide. He was previously responsible for leading PCORI's state and local level engagement with clinician, policymakers, professional audiences, and the broader healthcare community. Hope you like listening to the importance of patient engagement in research episode of House Call as much as I enjoyed interviewing Greg. Thanks, Greg, for joining us for our show today. It is a pleasure having you. You know, thanks, Claire. I'm delighted to be here. I was uh, very excited when I got the uh, invitation. Awesome. Well, we know you've got lots of interesting things to share with us today, so we are not going to further delay, okay? So... Wondering if you wouldn't mind describing Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute and its goals. Yeah, that's, uh, I mean, that's a great question. That's always the appropriate first question. Uh, first off, you know, for those of you that may not um, know me, I'm Greg Martin. I'm the Acting Chief Engagement and Dissemination Officer here at Macquarie. And, uh, you know, that's a, it's a long title. Uh, my parents always like to ask me, so what exactly is it you would say you do? which is fair. They don't come from a research or clinical background either. But uh, the way I like to summarize it is that, you know, my position is really about trying to find opportunities for people to be engaged in both the work that PCORI funds and the work that PCORI does. Mm. And the work that PCORI funds, that's really the key thing that I want to hook on here, because PCORI is a research funder. So we're an independent research institute. We were authorized by, uh, by Congress in 2010. And our funding was reauthorized in 2019 for an additional 10 years. Mm. What's unique about us, though, is that we're we're congressionally authorized, but we're an independent nonprofit. So we're governed by a 23-member board of governors that represents the entire healthcare community. And Congress set us up outside of the federal government. So that way we could have a bit more flexibility um, and nimbleness in approaching the real-world questions that people have in health and health care uh, than perhaps some of our federal partners do. Mm-hmm. We are set up with a very specific mandate, and so that's to fund comparative clinical effectiveness research. And to fund that comparative clinical effectiveness research, or CER, in a way that really engages patients and all the other stakeholders in the healthcare system throughout our entire research process. And again, we're trying to answer those real world questions about what works best for patients based on their circumstances and concerns. So in traditional CER, 
you know, it would probably be, you know, intervention X versus intervention Y versus intervention Z and looking at what are the clinical outcomes that matter. Well, we take that, those clinical outcomes that matter, and through requiring the engagement of patients and stakeholders, we start to get to one of those patient-centered outcomes that also matter. Mm-hmm. So that way patients, those who care for them, can make much more nuanced decisions about what works best according to their preferences. Because people have those questions. I think you and I both have these, Claire, you know, where we're sitting there mm-hmm. with our own clinicians, when we're sitting there with, with our parents, when we're sitting there with our kids, with people we love, and we're trying to sort through all those different options. We just want to know what's going to work best for us according to our preferences. Mm-hmm. Well, that's important. We're here to try and provide that information so that way all healthcare decision makers, but especially patients, especially that essential dyad of patient and clinician at bedside, can make those decisions that will help patients have the life that they want to live such important work, such important work. And if you don't mind maybe delving into a particular role that PCORI uh, plays, can you talk with us about actually how uh, patients and drug research and development uh, interact and, and why that is important? That's a question we get quite often. And, and, I'll say that on, on at the start, you know, that PCORI is not in the R&D and discovery side. We're in the mm-hmm. we're in the post-market side, but I think the lessons on both sides are applicable. So what we're learning here in patient-centeredness and patient engagement and stakeholder engagement in real-world clinical questions has a lot of ripeness and a lot of direct applicability to what the life sciences industry is doing in patient-focused mm-hmm. drug development. And even what, you know, some of the cutting edge is looking at in terms of regulatory science, perhaps. And so, you know, what we are learning is that there are, there's a lot of interest in patient-centeredness, understandably. I mean, that's when we're really looking at, at research that will aim to answer, answer the questions or examine those outcomes that matter to patients, but within that context of patient preference. Mm-hmm. So really, they're trying to design research to look at and reflect what, what's important to patients and their caregivers. Again, those patient-centered outcomes and also the clinical outcomes that matter to the patient. But we take it that step farther, and I think this is where we see a lot of uh, life science industry on R&D, is the engagement side. And that's meaning that patients are partners in the research and not just mm-hmm. subjects. Mm-hmm. It means that Patients and other stakeholders are meaningfully involved and actively involved in doing things like setting the question, designing the study, helping to think about site selection and and study participant recruitment. There to help with the course correction throughout the life cycle of the award, helping to look at the data and providing that essential context and nuance, helping to develop the final research report, and then this is an area where PCORI and where I'm particularly proud of is our, our focus on dissemination and implementation. It's not enough to just get published, but it's also essential to get the information, the evidence out there in a way that is useful and is mm-hmm. usable by people. Mm-hmm. And I think if we look across other sectors of the broader you know, marketplace, there's a lot of focus on 
customer-driven design and customer engagement and development. We haven't done that as much. We haven't done that as well here mm. in healthcare. I mean, if we think about our friends at, at Coca-Cola or Ford Motor Company, they don't release a product until they've had some time to really understand what it is that their customers want. Mm. Customers are end users. For us, end users in healthcare are clinicians and us especially patients and families and caregivers. We need to understand what them. We need to understand what their preferences are. We have to purposefully, intentionally build that into the design of our research in a way that's resonant to them and in a way that they can look at it and they can say, yeah, I see myself reflected in there. Or if it's not them directly engaged, they can look at it and they can say, I see my community reflected in. I see myself, you know, reflected mm-hmm. in the values of this research and this evidence. Mm-hmm. And Greg, I think you said something really interesting in that, you know, part of your job is to make sure that the word gets out, right? Um, mm-hmm. Regarding the, you know, the studies that um, PCORI engages in. H- how does your organization do that? Oh, that's a great question, Claire. I love that. There are things that we do ourselves and there are things that we fund. One of which is that our statute gives us some pretty interesting and and forward-thinking guidance on how we should be responsive to the information needs of the broader public and also let them know what they've essentially invested in. So first and foremost, all the findings of every single PCORI study are posted on our website. So we have the final research report there for anyone to read. Those are big. Those are dense. Those got a lot of Mm -hmm. information. We recognize that. So what we also do is we have a clinical-focused abstract that provides a lot more technical detail, and we have a lay abstract for, honestly, people like me and people like my folks that just want to get the sense of, okay, what did we really discover through through this project? We also do some audio files, like, you know, not necessarily podcasts, but, you know, some audio versions of uh, some of those lay abstracts. We also do uh, uh, public access payments. So when our, uh, when our funded investigators have their final results published in the peer-reviewed literature, if they're not already open access to the public, they can come back to us and say, hey, Corey, can you all help cover public access fees with this journal? Oh. And sure, of course, we want the information out there, so we do that. Another thing we do, and this is one that I'm especially proud of because I think this is really critical and and we don't like to talk about you know doing things in the moral sense too often because that can become fraught but i think that an area that ties into building trust with communities is moving past parachuting in asking people to give of themselves to be study participants and not tell them what the study actually found mm-hmm. so we fund the return of results to study participants So we'll support investigators in getting the evidence back out there. What did we find? What did this evidence show to every single person that participated in the study? We also have things called evidence updates. So these are great ones. These are ones that I'm really proud of. These are um, little one-pagers, two-pagers that aim to set new evidence in context for patients and for clinicians. I want to be explicit. It's not a formal decision aid but it does provide entree to a richer conversation between patients and families and clinical staff to have a better Mm -hmm. conversation. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. We also have competitive awards where we have opportunities for investigators, both of the studies themselves as well as folks from outside to come in and apply to us to um, with projects that would further disseminate and focus on uptake of evidence in clinical settings. So far, we've invested over $100 million into some of these dissemination implementation projects, and we're going to do a lot more. There's one initiative that's freshly underway that we hope to be popping out with some better information, actually, with the, uh, with the, with the selections um, early next year. And that's called our Health Systems Implementation Initiative, where we've mm-hmm. sent out a, a funding announcement for health systems to join uh, a stable to work directly with us on mm-hmm. implementation of PCORI-funded evidence. So these are systems that have stepped forward and said, you know, we want to improve care in our system. We would definitely love to work on implementing uh, select findings from PCORI uh, in robust fashion. So very wow. excited about that. I encourage folks to pay attention to what we come back with in, uh, in mid to late winter. Wow. So many great avenues to make sure that you are disseminating the amazing information that you're gathering. And, and it's, I mean, I can just hear in your voice how passionate you are um, in making sure that, um, you know, patients have access to to the right information to make the best decisions um, about their health care. So that is, that is fantastic. And, you know, given you have so many ways of um, getting the word out, I'm wondering, Greg, what, what does PCORI do in terms of measuring the, um, the impact of your uh, methods of, disc- of dissemination? Oh, you've got great questions, Claire. And uh, <laughs> you know, the sort of things that I actually <laughs> I enjoy answering, too, because there's all sorts of, you know, quantitative metrics, but there's all sorts of great qualitative metrics out there. Too. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Some of the quantitative metrics are some of the traditional ones around academic and peer-reviewed publishing. How many citations are you know, our studies getting, uh-huh. um, we, we definitely look at those. We also look at uh, some of our internal metrics. So how quickly are we getting those, uh, those lay and technical abstracts up on our website? How quickly are draft final research reports coming to completion and being accepted as final research reports? How many manuscripts from PCORI funded evidence are being published? Then we also look at something else. There's a, a system out there called alternative metrics or alt metrics for short. This is a very interesting uh, uh, set of information that not only looks at some of those traditional metrics, it also looks at some of the more novel ones. Like how many mentions are we getting out there in the social media space? Nice. It helps us start nice. to capture some of the conversation around evidence, some of the conversation around studies, some of the conversation around publications. And that's great because that starts to give us a little bit more of an, of, an, of an insight into what's really resonating. And we can dig into that and find out, are things really resonating? Are folks seeing themselves reflected in the evidence? Then, of course, we also go by a lot of word-of-mouth evidence. You know, there are folks that come back to us and say, this is, you know, how we use this. And we love those examples. We love to hear back from folks where they say, well, PCORI funding helped us develop a new product line to help disseminate information to our audience 
Pecori funding helped us set mm. or Pecori funding helped us set Pecori evidence into a context that mm. matters and is resonant with our community. And we've done a lot of that through another um, dissemination focused initiative that we have through our engagement awards program. I'd love to talk about that a little bit more too. But we're looking at multiple measures to try and understand because it is a large, complex, fragmented non-system that we have here in this country. There's so many different metrics that we can use. And so how do we how do we weave together that tapestry to really tell the story? We always want to learn more. I mean, if there are things that that we're not considering as metrics or indicators of success, give us a holler and let us know. We definitely love to, to hear more and, and learn new ways that we can try and measure and reflect back how we're doing. Hmm. That's great stuff. Thank, thank you for, for sharing that. I, I know for me, it's always interesting to hear how organizations actually, you know, measure their effectiveness and, um, it sounds like you've got great, great methods in place to do that. And at the same time, being so willing to, to listen to feedback from others on, on how you can do better. That's fantastic. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that underlies the, the whole ethos of engagement that we have here. It's got to be bi-directional. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we can sit here and think big thoughts ourselves, but those big thoughts don't mean a whit if <laughs> you know, they don't matter <laughs> to the folks that we're, that we're trying to serve. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it goes a little bit back to the reference you made in terms of just, you know, sort of your, your average retail customer, right. And, and how much, um, you know, retailers spend trying to figure out what customers actually want. Um, mm-hmm. So you're, so it sounds very familiar in terms of, of what you're attempting to do at uh, Picori as well. All right, Greg, I, you know, was doing, you know, my own research on, on, uh, Picori and uh, stumbled across uh, some interesting information about Picori's involvement with research on youth uh, sports-related concussions. You know, wondering if you might be able to speak to that project a little bit and summarize maybe some of the outcomes and outputs from it. Yeah, so we've actually had a couple of things in this space. And you know, one is a recent one that we funded through our engagement awards program. And I'll come back to that in just a minute because I think sure, that's a really sure. interesting one and maybe maybe of interest to uh, some of the listeners. But this is one that's really looking um, to engage patients and families and other stakeholders in understanding what are the research and evidence needs around sports-related concussion and to develop a research agenda that will include some priorities for screening and diagnosis and treatment, and to produce a resource for a toolkit to describe processes, strategies for engaging children and young adults as partners in this research. That's a really interesting area that we funded a few different things around in different spaces, but children and young adults, how do we appropriately and with engagement of their parents, provide them some agency and also understand what matters to them as patients. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. This, uh, this project is also going to look at, you know, how do we establish this patient stakeholder-driven infrastructure to further, further, re- to further research? And um, how is it that in the long term we can think about integrating findings from sports-related concussion care into additional pathways, both on, this, uh, both on the patient side and on 
the stakeholder side. We also funded an early uh, study um, that uh, was a, a clinical effectiveness research study that was looking at shared decision-making in the emergency department on um, not necessarily concussion, but for um, for kids that have sports-related head injury. Mm. So how mm. is it that then you go forward in a shared decision-making context to work with the family on determining what clinical pathway is preferred and appropriate for screening and diagnosis of concussion. And it was really focused on uh, avoidance of unnecessary or inappropriate use of CT scans. Mm. So that was another very interesting product project. It was led by, a, by an investigator who also did one that was on choice of treatment pathway for patients presenting at the emergency department with chest pain. So those that have uh, uh, been found to not be having an acute cardiac event but are experiencing chest pain, what's the pathway forward? Do they get admitted? Do they go home with the monitoring plan? That was mm. another great one. Yes. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about the engagement awards? Yeah. Yeah. So this is one where you're going to hear me get, you know, excited and hyped up again, because this is a program that, you know, I, I'm really proud of personally, because I think we've done a lot of interesting and, and great work and supported a lot of uh, a lot of new partnerships through this. So over the last decade, you know, we've supported over $160 million in uh, several hundred engagement awards. What these look to do is to help researchers, investigators, and communities, and communities, however they choose to define themselves, come together as research partners. And we do that through a few different funding opportunities. First, I want to say that communities, however they define themselves, it's a, mm -hmm. it's a fluid term, and we recognize that. And so community mm -hmm. to us mean a bunch of different things. It could mean a patient community, folks with similar conditions. It could mean a uh, neighborhood community, a regional geographic community. It could mean uh, an affinity community. It could mean a clinical society, mm. a community. Mm -hmm. How do people define themselves as connected to one another and an interest in being engaged in the type of research that the Corey funds? So we've heard early on when we started funding research and requiring engagement, we heard from researchers, man, this is something new. We, we need some help in pulling this together. It's a bit of an unfunded mandate here. We heard from community partners, this is exciting. We want to be engaged in research, but we need some help upskilling, and we don't necessarily have the bandwidth to do it. And, well, we have the flexibility and the interest here in PCORI to help communities and researchers build that capacity together. That's the first funding track that we have is capacity building awards. That's what that sports-related concussion uh, uh, initiative was, uh, was funded under, I believe, which was to really help investigators, communities explore each other's interests and each other's priorities and each other's prerogatives and each other's needs together and form a team. Mm -hmm. We mm -hmm. also have the funding opportunity focused on dissemination, the dissemination initiative. That's one that looks at helping communities develop pathways and vehicles, essentially, for getting evidence back out into their community. So again, it's helping them understand what Corey has funded, helping them to develop ways that they can set it appropriately and accurately into a context and a verbiage and a format that's resonant with those that they serve. 
And then we also have one called stakeholder convening support. And I always kind of frame that up for folks is if you're really looking at a nice point of entry for PCORI, you're not really sure how to approach whether going for a research award or a capacity building award. You want to really kind of pull together different stakeholders to, to have conversations. That's a good funding track to look at. We funded a lot of interesting projects through that funding track. And there's one that we just launched that's another capacity building track, but it's focused solely on smaller organizations. There's a lot of really close-knit and close-to-the-ground community organizations that are very eager, very enthusiastic about being engaged in research, and particularly comparative clinical effectiveness research and patient-centered outcomes research. But they need a little bit of technical assistance. And so this funding track focuses on building capacity, helping them build skills, but also providing some additional technical assistance to help them develop so that way they can continue and really kickstart their journey in the research enterprise. Wow, that is so exciting. And you you seem to be thinking about um, a variety of different stakeholders, right? And maybe even some less traditional stakeholders that maybe have been overlooked in the past in terms of how they too can get involved in um, research. That's fantastic. Thank you for providing yeah. that uh, background. Yeah, certainly 100%. I mean, from well-established name brand organizations, we've they've been successful with the engagement awards to smaller, much newer, uh, uh, and, and like I said, much more closer to the ground uh, community organizations that just have enthusiasm and energy and a good heart. You know, they've, they've come to us and been successful as well. Really an exciting body of work. That's awesome. I look forward to, to seeing more of what comes from this excellent uh, aspect of the work that you're doing. Affinity Strategies is a full-service nonprofit healthcare associate management and stakeholder engagement firm. They use digital-first solutions to promote transparent, efficient business practices. They partner with each client organization to maximize both staff and client expertise, experience, and relationships to meet goals. To learn more about Affinity Strategy Services, the team, and the mission-driven work they have done and continue to do, visit their website at www.affinity-strategies.com. All right, Greg. You know, um, unfortunately, the, the topic of uh, COVID-19 continues to be uh, alive and well in our world. And um, wondering if you might be able to talk a little bit about um, what PCORI has done in relationship to COVID-19. Yeah, so that's a great question, and that's one that's obviously on the top of everybody's mind is we still try and, you know, fight our way out of, of what has been a remarkably and, and unfortunately durable pandemic. Mm-hmm. Like, like every other organization in healthcare, we're really looking to try and figure out what it was we could do and what we can continue to do to try and be of service to the system and to patients. And we did that through a number of different mechanisms and opportunities that we had. We've done it through dissemination work. We've done it through engagement awards and our engagement work, really looking at how it is you can continue to have robust and meaningful engagement of communities during a time of social distancing. Mm -hmm. We've also brought forward 
some of our resources around research to bear. Uh, and some of the things that we've found through that work, you know, we uh, funded a research registry that conducted a study of uh, healthcare workers, 55,000 healthcare workers. And the top line from that, um, and, the, and the study appeared in the journal General Internal Medicine, it showed that during COVID-19, those frontline healthcare workers experienced rates of moral injury that were comparable to those of combat veterans. Oh, my gosh. Really put. Yeah, really put in stark contrast just how difficult of a time it's been for the last two and a half years for frontline mm. clinicians. And as a nurse spouse, I can tell you, you know, I, I saw it quite clearly, the anxiety, you know, and, the, and the, the challenge of continuing to care for patients at a time when you're uncertain of, of what this was going to affect, how this was going to affect you personally and affect mm. your family. And so it's it's interesting and and also um, a real call to action I think for all of us to to look at um, evidence like this and think about what's next. Mm-hmm. There was also mm-hmm. a uh, a study that was supported in part by the Cori funding out of uh, University of Pennsylvania um, that was looking at pulse oximeters uh, for patients who are recovering at home from COVID nineteen and. You know, what that study found is that pulse oximeters might not necessarily improve patients uh, that are recovering at home from COVID-19. So Hmm. we all have them, you know. Um, You know, it's one of those useful little devices. But, you know, to also understand that, you know, that it might not necessarily be be a panacea in your recovery. Wow. Um, Wow. We've also taken some time to really think about uh, another initiative we have that I haven't talked about much yet can be a resource, Um, and that's PCORnet, the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Network. Mm. So we've supported this large distributed data network that is infrastructure to help support research. And what this research network has done, PCORnet, has partnered together uh, multiple clinical research networks that define themselves and have aggregated themselves and worked with us on developing a common data model. Now, this is not a data warehouse, so it's not information being sent from these networks. They all hold it. They own it themselves. It's their own data. But the common data model, I liken to a, to a fishing net. And the data scientists will probably want to throw rotten tomatoes at me for, for this metaphor. But <laughs> like a nice little fishing net to kind of go across all of those networks and scoop out the data de-identified and to support research. And so we have clinical encounter data for 66 million people available through PCORnet. So it can really do some high-powered research through this resource. That's one area that's been brought to bear as uh, helpful for uh, COVID-19 research. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Another area we've supported is a program that we have called Research Synthesis and New Technology. So looking at how it is that we can go across the existing body of literature and evidence on the research synthesis side and also look at the emerging body of literature on the new technology side, scoop those up and develop uh, products to help inform public, inform decision makers as they go forward. So we have on the new tech side, uh, our healthcare horizon scanning database. So this looks at emerging interventions that have a high potential for disruption in the marketplace. We were able to take that and pivot it to also serve with a biweekly COVID-19 scan information that's out there and available. 
We've been developing emerging technologies reports around COVID-19. We'll continue to look at what we can do in evidence synthesis around COVID-19. And of course, all of those areas of effort. We also do that across many, many, many other uh, uh, healthcare issues as well. So again, wow. just, you know, we try and think about what are the what are the opportunities that we have to address stakeholders' evidence needs and, and patients' evidence needs and deliver better patient-centered care. Mm-hmm. And it seems like there are just so many different data sources and research available to people. And to your point, which I think is you know part of how you described your job, you're focusing so much on trying to figure out you know how to get it in the right hands, right? Um, and making sure that people are able to take advantage of it. So that is that's in, that's incredible. Um, loved 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 hearing about that. Um, maybe switching gears a little bit um, and, and speaking again about an ongoing issue we certainly have in our country. I also saw um, Pakori's studies on uh, chronic pain and opioid use, and just wondering if you might be able to talk a little bit about that research, research what's available, and um, again, how, how folks can access it. Yeah, we have done a fair bit of work in that space over the almost 12 years that we've been in existence. And actually, that's a nice little note. Um, on September 23rd, 2022, it'll be our 12th birthday. So, oh. you know, we're moving into our tween years. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, oh, happy birthday, yeah. Picori. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. We'll bake a cake and then we'll have a nice little party. But, yeah. um, you know, we've funded a lot of space, a, a lot of work in this area because it's very complex and it's very important to really listen to and learn from all stakeholders, patients especially, but also clinicians, also payers, employers. Everybody has a real, a real stake and a real interest in helping us address the dual crises, really, opioid use and opioid misuse, also pain, chronic pain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We funded a range of different studies. You know, there's one that we funded early on um, out of Alabama that was really focused on pain care. And it had, you know, a very long title, um, Literacy Adapted Psychosocial Interventions for Chronic Pain. Wow. The long and the short of it was that the investigator was working with a clinician uh, who was based in community health centers to really understand how it is that different approaches to cognitive behavioral therapy and other uh, uh, methods for thinking about pain when it strikes can help patients with their symptoms of pain in the real world. And so what they found is that by really thinking about the patient population they were working with, by engaging that patient population to understand what mattered to them and how to work with them, they were able to look at and, and understand that you can adapt cognitive behavioral therapy mm. to help lower income, lower literacy patients better approach how they think about pain and how they experience pain so that way they aren't as dependent upon pharmaceutical interventions. Mm. That was a very interesting early one. We've also funded work to look at how do you titrate different doses, how do you approach different different strategies to uh, uh, prescribing and then also deprescribing from opioids. 
complex area. When we first entered the space, we actually used our engagement approach. Like I said, at the outset, you know, we think about ways for people to be engaged in the work that we fund, but also the work that we do. So it's Mm -hmm. not just enough for us to to say, you go do it. We expect it of ourselves. So we had several workshops where we brought together a large number of patients and patient advocates and caregivers, but also clinicians and researchers, public and private payers, employers, health systems, help us understand how each of them thinks about this very complex area. What are those points of intersection? What are the outcomes that matter? How is it that we can together, together come up with research questions and and drive research to a space that will get to evidence that really meets the the decision points that are out there. There's a lot more that we have in this space in the pipeline that's going to be coming forward over the next few years. Um, We're going to be looking forward to getting it out there in the public through a lot of those dissemination pathways that I talked about before, Mm -hmm. but also some Mm -hmm. of those competitive areas for implementation and uptake. Mm so needed. I am sure that your research in that area will continue to get uh, the attention that it deserves and undoubtedly um, both patients, well, all the stakeholders involved, right? Whether it's a a patient, uh, insurance company, a provider, et cetera, will all find it, I'm sure, interesting. Thank you for for sharing that with us. So Greg, um, I've come to my last substantive question for you. And um, wondering, what could our listeners do to support PCORI's work? Oh, boy. Well, th- this is going to shock you when I say this, but get engaged. You know, this is an area where, you know, we provide a lot of opportunities because I- I'll be blunt. We need help. You know, we need help from all across the country, from all across the health sector. And like I always like to say, it's important for an organization that was stood up explicitly to serve the U.S. health system, we need to reflect and we need to look like that health system that we're set up to serve. Mm -hmm. So we've Mm -hmm. created opportunities for folks to be engaged in that work that we do. So this includes things like a program that we have called the Ambassador Program. That's a network of individuals that are interested in being part of comparative clinical effectiveness research, patient-centered outcomes research, as those engaged partners on a research team, as well as to be those that would help spread the word to their communities. Again, communities, however they define it, multiple communities, about the relevance and the importance and the opportunities to be involved in this sort of work. There's also uh, our merit review program. So we have all of our applications for funding that come into us, they go out to external panels for review and recommendations on uh, funding and scoring. Most research funders out there really rely on scientists to, com- to be the main composition of research panels or mm-hmm. review panels. For us, our merit review panels are half scientists and researchers and half patients and stakeholders. We provide training for folks if they've never done this before. And we also have a mentor program for our patient and stakeholder reviewers, other folks that have been through it a few times before and provide some tips and strategies on the approach. But really an essential area, helping us understand the sort of so what of a research application. You know, it may be really clever, really well designed, really interesting, but 
then having a patient and a clinician voice there looking at it saying, you know, this is interesting, but it's not quite there in meeting the evidence needs that we need for bedside decision making. Uh, uh Uh Now let's go to the opposite end of the research pipeline, our peer review program. So you heard me mention earlier when draft final research reports come in and then we get them to the final research report. In that process, we have peer reviewers. It's similar to a peer review program at uh, major journals. But again, our peer review process, it's half researchers, scientists, and half patients and stakeholders. Again, to give that context, that nuance, help us understand what is the real world applicability of this evidence. Mm -hmm. We also at an organizational level have several different advisory panels, which are opportunities for folks to sit down with us a few times a year and really give us very direct feedback on our approach to our work, the topics we're considering, the other areas where we're trying to figure out how it is that the work that we do can be more responsive to uh, to real-world needs. Mm. Those are just a few of the opportunities to get engaged in the work that we do. Then the yeah. work that we fund. I'm going to keep going here for a minute. <laughs> this is as a funder, there's a lot of folks that want to, okay, well, you know, get involved with you, Greg. That's great. How do we get the funding? Uh-huh. The engagement awards are a great opportunity, and I really do commend folks that are just getting involved with research, especially uh, community organizations, clinical societies. Think about that. Take a close look at that as an opportunity to explore how it is that you can be engaged and to build the skill to be those true partners in research. Also look at our research funding opportunities. We pump out a lot of them throughout the year, three cycles of funding a year on the regular, Hmm. and also those dissemination and implementation awards. Those are other great opportunities for folks to come in and say, you know, we've got a network, we've got a plan, we like this evidence, we think we can get it disseminated and taken up in clinical settings. Excellent, excellent calls to action, Greg. And we will be sure to put plenty of references in our show notes to make it easier for um, our listeners to be able to go right to those notes and and get this information and and get themselves started in engaging with PCORI. Thank you for that. Really appreciate it. Okay. We have come to our lightning round um, of questions. Are you ready, Greg? Let me take a breath here. Let me take a breath. All right. Here we go. Get yourself loosened up a little, right? Yep. Describe yourself in three words. Oh, Lord, only three. Uh, Let's be here. So uh, I'll say number one, um, adaptive. I'll say number two, um, I like to think I'm fairly humorous. Uh, Number three, uh, interested. You know, I like to hear from other people and understand what life is like from them. Nice. All seem to be uh, very helpful in your line of work. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) Yes, yes. Uh, Your favorite day of the week? Um, You know, I know as a professional, I should probably say someday in the middle of the work week. But honestly, I got two kids in school who I absolutely adore. And so Saturdays are always just a great day to spend time with them. Great answer. Let's say Saturday. Great answer. Last song you downloaded. 
Well, I'm a bit of uh, of an oddball in this sense. I actually have not downloaded a song in so long. My truck has a CD player, so I have been going back to to you know the '90s and buying CDs. <laughs> Love that. Love that. That's awesome. Okay, would you rather be able to speak every language in the world or be able to talk to animals? Oh, that's interesting. You know, I love animals. Love them. I think I'd want to preserve the mystery. So I think oh. I'd much rather be able to enjoy talking to other people. Again, I think it's, it's that wanting to know what life is like for you. You know, and the more nice. people I could do with, I think that would be really cool. Nice. And I love how you have very purposefully said you'd like to preserve the mystery with animals. That's a really great answer. I love that. Okay. Your favorite junk food. It, it's not junk food, but favorite food, period, peanut butter. Ask anybody that knows <laughs> me, folks work, the family. Peanut butter is the start and end of the food conversation for me. <laughs> that is fantastic. That is fantastic. And you are right. This is not a junk food. Let's be clear. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Ask permission or forgiveness. Oh, you know, I'm going to channel my mother on this one. She's going to say he always asked for forgiveness. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, again, considering uh, some of the cutting edge work that you're doing, I, I can see how that falls in line with, um, mm-hmm. with who you are. All right. What is the most boring thing ever? Well, with apologies to, to my bosses and the people that I work with, I got to say performance assessments are probably the most boring thing because, you know, I've always tried to foster and I hope I have, I hope I have, you know, an open line of communication. And if you do that, then, you know, mm-hmm. performance assessments should be boring. Yes, that's right. Great answer, Greg. How many times did you sneeze in the last seven days? Well, we've had a lot of rain here in beautiful, sunny Annandale, Virginia. <laughs> so fortunately, I haven't sneezed once in the last week. Well, that's wonderful. Good for you. Good for you. Mm-hmm. What is the <laughs> fastest you've ever driven a car? No low contender. Oh, my gosh. Oh my gosh. Fine. Fine. Okay. What's for dinner tonight? Ah, my, uh, my 10 year old has been asking for lasagna. So in, in true Garfield style, we're going to supply. So lasagna tonight. Oh, well, that sounds like a delicious meal for the evening. Dawn or dusk? That's an easy one. Dusk. The sound of the crickets coming out is one of my favorite sounds. That chirping, I I love it. Oh, that's lovely. Lovely. All right. Is it wrong for a vegetarian to eat animal crackers? Uh, No. No, I I think we can let that slide. I think we can let that slide. (laughs) Good, good. I'm glad you saw the humor in, in that question. You wouldn't believe how many people take that very, very seriously, Greg. Very seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, who do you admire? Uh, you know, that's, there's, there's a lot of folks that I admire. There's a lot of folks that I admire. I'll say that one person I admire, uh, some that 
I lost about 22 years ago, and that was uh, my aunt. And seeing her raise uh, raise my cousin as a single mother and then mm-hmm. also take in me for summers um, mm-hmm. and watching her do that with Grace and Aplomb while also um, dealing with ovarian cancer for the last oh uh, last seven years that she was with us. Um she was uh, really an amazing woman. I also think about my mother's mother, my maternal grandma, mm. someone who was a model of grace and aplomb um, to all of us and someone from whom we learned so much through her life experience. Mm. And I think about, um, you know, from a position of my own faith, you know, I, I greatly admire um the Archbishop of Canterbury, so Justin Welby. I think that he has been, over the last few years through COVID, um, a real voice for faith and confidence in faith and charity. You know, I think that those are, are essential messages that we all need to keep in mind um, as we move forward. So for me, you know, his, his work in that space during a time of what has been found grief globally, um, has been uh, really admirable and inspiring. Oh, that's lovely. That is lovely. What are you currently reading? Oh, <laughs> I read a lot of stuff, but I read, I, you know, my, my, my family rolls their eyes. So right now I, I read a lot of biography and history. I just finished up um, a couple of these really lovely um, Penguin Monarch short biographies, one on Ethelred the Unready and one on Canute the Great. So yes. Oh. Nerded buff. <laughs> Currently, about halfway through um, a single volume uh, history of the Crusades, um, mm. that really tries to present it through the experience of the Crusaders, and it's really just heartbreaking tales of of savagery and brutality, and, and a real mm. cautionary tale. You are definitely digging into some interesting stuff. Um, wow. <laughs> very, very, very light. Uh, puts, puts you to rest easily, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> okay, here's my final lightning round question for you. What is your dream job, of course, other than the one that you currently have? Well, I think you've heard a lot. You've definitely heard a lot of excitement that I have for my current job. But, you know, I mean, the childhood thing was an astronaut. Um, you know, but mm-hmm. I'd, I'd say that a couple of spaces, you know, and I can't really decide between one because my wife and I talk about this quite often, the sort of what, what would we do if we hit the lottery? Oh, yeah. One is that yeah. in high school and college, I worked in the local science and nature museum. Running a place like that would be a really rewarding job, I got to believe. You know, I think back to my aunt's experience and you know, working on a really community and patient and people focused service organization has got to be really rewarding, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and and yep. also, you know, an architect. I've always loved design. So maybe that's a little less public service oriented. One. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's a beauty and grace in architecture that I that I've always admired. And that I think that, uh, you know, would be a lot of fun to do. So all the architects out there in the listenership, I love you. Oh, that is awesome. That is awesome. Great choices. Great choices. Well, Greg, it has been an absolute delight chatting with you today. And I have learned so much about what is available out there 
um, for, for patients to just have a better and more thorough understanding of what their options are and, and how to access that information, how to leverage that with respect to their own um, healthcare decisions. I can't tell you how great this conversation has been, and I wish you luck as you continue to do the great work that you're doing. I really appreciate that, Claire. Thank you. And uh, let me put in a quick plug for our annual meeting at the end of October, 26th and 27th, all virtual. So anyone can tune in. We're going to get those sessions back up online as a resource for later. I also got to say our door is always open. So if anybody out there in TV land or in podcast land, you know, wants to get in touch with us, please do. You know, we're easy to find. Go to PCORI.org. There's multiple pathways. We try and make it no wrong door. You know, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, Claire, thank you again. I really appreciate the opportunity to help spread a little bit of the word. It's been a pleasure talking to you. And please do give my best to the uh, team at Affinity Strategies. So it's a great group you get to work with over there. They sure are. And I, I will definitely do so. Thanks a million, Greg. And have a great rest of your week. You do too. Take care, Claire. Thank you. What a great discussion with Greg. Among other things, he shared several instances of how clinicians and patients can take advantage of the plethora of information available to assist in making the best possible health decisions. He also reviewed the variety of ways the information is shared with patients, as well as how the effectiveness of the dissemination and implementation is measured. Lastly, he emphasized how patients, meaning people like you and me, can get involved in the vital work that Bacori is doing. As mentioned during my discussion with Greg, you will find specific information regarding PCORI studies, award options, the ambassador program, PCORnet, and so much more in our show notes. Today's episode was written and researched by me, Claire Vincent, with technical production provided by Derek Anderson and music from Caleb Justinger. Be sure to follow our series to stay up to date on new episodes. Share it with your friends, and if you enjoy what you're hearing, kindly give us a like. This helps us get the word out about our series. You can expect a new episode to drop sometime during the third week of each month. Thank you so much for listening to House Call and Affinity Strategies Podcast. We appreciate you so, so much. I look forward to catching up with you again in just a few weeks. Thanks again for listening. This is Claire Vincent.